welcome everyone. Welcome, especially if you're here for the first time. You're so welcome amongst us as a visitor, but please come back. So uh, yesterday, um, I needed to come to the office and uh, I forgot my keys to get into the office. So I, um, I, but fortunately, there's some girls working in, in the coffee shop and they were just clearing up. And um, so I knocked on the front door and uh, as they saw me, one of our lovely twins turned round and said, Rebecca, get the music. <laughs> and uh, then they came to the door and, uh, and I came in. I said, what are you doing? And I, and I walked over to the stereo. And I said, you are not playing this loud enough. <laughs> Come on. And, and, they, and then they went, carried on. It was sorry to embarrass you, but it was fun. And they had a wrong impression of me, didn't they? And um, they just thought I might um, react differently. In fact, I turned the music up louder and they carried on dancing behind the bar as they cleared away. We thank you for the way you serve. Um, this will make sense. We can get a wrong impression of people. And um, we're going through a, court, um, a series on God as our Father. And... Um, Martin Luther, who is a 16th century. I've got a few quotes from a few Martins here, okay? Uh, Martin Luther, um, a 16th century German priest, he, um, he was alleged to have said, I have difficulty praying the Lord's Prayer because when I do, I think of my own father who is hard, unyielding and relentless. I cannot help, I cannot help but think of God that way. Another Martin, uh, this is Martin Lloyd-Jones, a bit more recent, uh, he was a Welsh minister. Uh, he said, if, you'd, if you should ask me to state in one phrase what I regard as the greatest defect in most Christian lives, I would say that it is the failure to know God as our Father, as we should know him. A, a recent survey in America said that... Um, 77% of Americans think, God as a, think of God as an angry, judgmental being. And only 23% think of God as a loving and compassionate person. If this is only partly true, it's actually really sad. And I'm sure it's replicated over here as well and across the world. And this really does distort our whole view of God and uh, it will affect how we pray, how we worship, how we serve him. And so that's what we're going to look at, the subject of the Father together. Understanding the Father obviously means very different things to different people, um, from absence to overbearing and everything in between. And uh, so first of all, we're going to look at what, how Jesus relates to the Father. He is our role model. He's who we follow. Uh, Jesus said to his disciples after a busy time in ministry, he said this, he said, come away for a while. He was encouraging them to intimacy. Um, he said, come away from the productivity and come and uh, no, no intimacy with the Father. I believe, actually, if we're looking for greater productivity, greater fruitfulness, then we, it starts with uh, the willingness to go deeper uh, with the Father, abiding in the vine, remaining in him. So uh, 
when we look at Jesus' teachings, his beginning of his teaching, and throughout his teaching, it's all about encounter with the Father. Um, and so we're hoping and praying that together we'll have a greater revelation of who he is as Father, and as we grow together as his followers. So let's have a look at Jesus' example. Um, Jesus came from a place of intimacy with the Father. John tells us in John 1.8, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is, the fa- who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So it talks of Jesus at the Father's side. I mean, I, I understand this literally means he's at the Father's bosom. He's very close. Intimacy and connection. Jesus' whole ministry was fueled by the Father's love. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. That's from John also. Jesus radically challenged the the disciples' kind of self-reliance and said, you know, he was encouraging them to have a a childlike relationship with the Father. We read that where it says, your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Like a good parent, the Father knows what his children needs. Jesus taught his followers how to pray, as we all know, with the opening line, our Father. We need understanding as our Father. Now, this wasn't unknown in the Old Testament, but Jesus, you know, the Father was referred to only 15 times in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, we see it 245 times. He's called Father. And last week, Keith was talking about Abba Father. And actually, Jesus called him Abba Father in Mark 14. And uh, Paul picked it up later in the other passages we read in Romans and Galatians. So this word Abba, it means, it's quite a difficult word to translate. Daddy's probably a bit too childlike. Father's a bit too formal. It's sort of in between. Uh, I think someone said that... uh, the Italian papa is a bit more, because that's used by uh, children and adults of their father. And uh, so that maybe have a better understanding of how we're to relate to him as our father. It combines intimacy and respect. John 17, in this, Jesus' high priestly prayer, it doesn't focus on church planting or saving souls or healing. It talks about knowing the father. It says this, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, knowing God, knowing him as the Father. So here's some of the verses where what Jesus did when he related to the Father. He said this, he said, I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. In John 5 it says, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. So we can see just this link. He was never on his own. It was very intrinsically linked. Everything he did was what he saw the Father doing. And then in John 12, whoever sees me sees him who sent me. So when we look at Jesus, we see the Father. So I want us to kind of understand that this is the message of the gospel for all of us, that we have a waiting Father Wanting to draw us home into intimacy, into his presence. We've messed up. We don't deserve it. But he wants us to come into it. And that's what we read in, you know, we know from the prodigal son. We can rejoice that uh, if anyone does sin, 
we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. This is Jesus' aim, to bring us to the Father. Last week we were reading in Galatians, but it's about the spirits you've received, brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we call Abba Father. We cry, Abba Father. And it's this longing, this call, that I want us to understand. I want us to grow together in this. Let's inspire each other to deeper relationship with the Father, to connect with him, to abide with him. Our relationship to God, our Father, is foundational to everything we are, who we become and how we represent the Father to others. And so this, this series really follows on from the discipleship training course that we've been doing and, our, and how we disciple others, because how we represent the Father to others is so important to the gospel. So, um, but sometimes we do have unhealthy uh, and poor representations of father, fathers in life, whether authoritative figures, uh, teachers, parents. Our image of God can be distorted. And uh, I want us to uh, really be transformed because as we love God and love him as the father, it relates to how we love our neighbour. We were singing earlier, I've known you as a father. And I think we can know him as a father, but I actually think that song isn't very helpful in that line, because I think we need to know him as father, as our father, not as a father. We need to know him as our father. We're his sons and daughters. Someone said, not me, the ultimate goal of the cross and highest blessing of the gospel is not that we are rescued and forgiven, but that we're loved, chosen and adopted as his children into the divine royal family for eternity. So, I'm actually going to repeat a sermon I did about three years ago, well, a large part of it. Because, actually, I'm not going to apologise because I'm going to apologise that I haven't done it sooner because I think this is actually a message we need to hear regularly and we need to uh, just evaluate how we're looking to God as our Father. So I'm going to spend a, a, a bit of time just unravelling some different filters, wrong lenses. I'm just going to do something. I? I, I personally don't like wearing, wearing sunglasses um, I don't think they suit me. You can tell me differently. Watch this. Right, okay. I, I, the thing is with sunglasses, uh, these have got some funny tint on them and everything looks different. And you get these ones, or these ones might be, they were sort of a brown tint, so it was making everything look a bit muddy and murky. These are sort of a rose tinted, so everything looks a bit... But I just don't like the idea of them. The whole thing of, I know, it, it kind of impairs your vision, doesn't it? You can't see properly. Um, and this is what I want us to reveal this morning. I want the Holy Spirit to reveal how we're viewing the Father incorrectly, how we've got wrong filters, that maybe clouding our image of God um, and distorting it. And so we can pull up that's our verse. Well, our next, I'm just going to list a few things, a few filters, in fact, 15, but we'll race through them. And uh, the purpose of this is... I want us to evaluate how we're viewing God. 
But it's important to think, actually, how we relate to earthly authoritative figures um, may have affected that. Uh, and in all seriousness, this may expose some real pain for people. And uh, it may be difficult if you've had absent fathers. And I want you to know that he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. As we heard the testimony this morning, he heals physically. I met someone in the park this morning and she was, had a broken wrist. She's not a Christian. We prayed for her. She said, there's a layer of bone that's just grown and fused the bone together and the doctors don't understand it. And she just looked up to heaven. And uh, God heals the broken bones, but he also heals the brokenhearted. And he can do that for you this morning. So firstly, the first lie is that his love is conditional, that we have to earn it. That's a lie. The truth is we are unconditionally loved. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own son for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Whilst the son was a long way off, the father was already running, wasn't he? He was seeing yeah, it's unconditional love for us. You Maybe you see God through a lens that he's just really bad at communicating. Why doesn't he speak more clearly to us? Why doesn't he speak to his creation? I want to suggest that he is speaking to us all the time. And it's probably our responsibility to listen to him, to open our ears, to learn how he is speaking to us through creation, through others, through his word that he's given to us through the Holy Spirit, through dreams, visions. I believe he's speaking to us. We need to learn how to hear him. It says, you guide me with your counsel. He is the word of God. He cannot help but speak. Controlling. I, um, my previous job, my boss was really controlling. He was a complete control freak. And I found that really quite overbearing. I always felt he was looking over my shoulder at my work, checking up on me. If I wasn't doing it the way he wanted to do it, just that presence of a critical boss. Maybe you see father like that. That he's just looking over you, watching you, waiting for you to trip up. I believe the Spirit wants to release you this morning from any controlling image you have of God it is for freedom that Christ has set you free stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery freedom it says his yoke is easy and light judgmental and critical I'm going to let my mum speak on this one if she's ready I've got a few people just to break up my voice she's running look So as a child, um, I was brought up by Christian parents, but my father was, he was a disciplinarian. He was very strict. And because as a teenager, I rebelled a lot, we clashed an awful lot. 
And also because, as some of my grandchildren say to me, I was brought up in the olden days, because I'm so old. In those days, it was difficult for parents to show love and acceptance in a physical way, or even in a, a verbal way. So there wasn't much of that in my relationship with my father. But in my 20s, I came to know Jesus, and I loved him so much, and I was so thankful and for all he'd done, and I felt really close to him. But for many years, I actually still saw God as very far off, as distant. He was so far away on a throne, but he was looking at me to see if he could trip me up or if I was going to trip myself up. All the time I felt that's what he was doing and comparing me and that I had to earn my way for him to love me. It was a total, as Nathan says, a total wrong picture, wrong lens. But it was stuck in my head and I couldn't get rid of it. Uh, one day it became so bad from a situation, friends prayed for me because that was with what was in my head and they knew it was wrong. I knew it was wrong, but I couldn't change it. But praise God, as they prayed, the Holy Spirit came and just gave me such a strong image of what we've already talked about. Not God as a harsh judge on a throne, but as a father, a loving father running towards me. He picked me up, twisted me around, he, felt, he brought me close, he kissed me, he embraced me, and his love just totally overwhelmed me. It was such a real experience in my life that it totally changed everything in every way of my relationship with him. I would say it was one of the most significant occasions in my life that the Holy Spirit worked in me. And now, every day, every morning, when I come to talk to him, and I go to, go to him, I find he's already running to me. He's already there before me. And it's changed my life in such a way. So I would say if anyone has a wrong view... Holy Spirit can change that for you. Amen. Amen. So the next slide. Unreliable. Maybe you see God as unreliable. He is trustworthy. You need to know he is trustworthy. You can trust in the Lord with all your heart. You don't need to lean on your own understanding. You can lean on him. You can put your faith in him. We've been singing, I believe in God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You can trust in him. He is trustworthy and reliable. Maybe you think of Father God as cold and aloof. He is warm and affectionate. 
Psalm 22, 9, it says, Yet you who are you who are he who took me from the womb, you made me trust you at my mother's breast. So he formed you in the womb. He took you to the nurse on your mother's breast. He's warm and affectionate. He knows the hairs on your head. He's caring and compassionate towards you. Dishonest. In Titus 1-2 it says, God who does not lie. Are you going to believe what the scripture says? Are you going to believe that this is truth? He does not lie. Unforgiving. Our Father is forgiving. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, when preparing this uh, talk, a few years, three years ago, in fact, um, there's lots of new faces, so you won't remember, but I, I, I thought I'd try and write a list of how I may have failed as a father. <laughs> and then I presented it to my children for them to add to it. We haven't got time this morning to go through it all, but I thought I'd just tell you, I'll be really honest with you, because we are just a, a poor reflection image of the perfect father. And... Um, and we've all fallen short. I'm not here to... I, we, we don't want to beat ourselves up. There's so much grace for us. There's so much healing available to us. But um, here are some of the ones which I um, thought for myself and my children agreed at times that I was like this. So the first one, absent. I worked hard. I left in the morning, seven, uh, and didn't come back often until seven. When the children were young, I didn't see them. They were, weren't up and they weren't... You know, and they'd gone to bed by the time I got back. So I was just absent. Um, but we can also be emotionally absent as well. I can be very much in the room. And, uh, and uh, actually, we've got another one and someone else to share on this one. Anne. Anne's going to share. When I come from a, a military family... And all the men in the family were military of one sort or another. And so they were, well, they were absent. My father was absent from, well, he joined the Air Force when he was a boy, a teenager. And from then on, he was sent various places. And during the war, he was in India, Ceylon, came home, but I didn't know him. I have no idea what he was going to look like. We had to go to the end of the road with a flag and wave it because the, the servicemen were coming home on the, on the buses. But I didn't know who I was looking for. I had no idea what my dad looked like. And so I had to wait. He didn't come home during the day. He came home when I was asleep at night, and I saw him. And I just didn't know who this man was. He'd been away for, oh, seven years, I think. And uh, after he came home, we didn't get an opportunity to know him because he was sent away again to Germany and uh, various other countries ending up in Scotland. So for about 35 years, I didn't know who my father was. I went, 
And he didn't know, because he also was from a military family, he didn't know how to be a father. He knew how to be um, as, uh, an airman. He knew how to be um, obedient, but he didn't know how to relate. And that happened through my, li my life. I didn't know my dad, and I wanted to know him, but it, it was just not possible because he wasn't there. He did provide for us, but that was it. He just provided. And when he retired, I think he thought, who's this strange person? Because my sister and I were terrible twins. <laughs> and he must have wondered what on earth he'd begotten. <laughs> well, I won't go into details. <laughs> but I will tell you, that before he died, he came to know the Father in heaven, and so he was baptized, and we, went, we both knew our Heavenly Father. Thank you, Anne. Wonderful. So I want to affirm that your Heavenly Father is not absent. He is so present. I am with you always to the end of the age. Where shall I flee from your presence? Busy. One of my things, yeah, I'm just busy. We can have a, a badge of honour if we're busy. We tell people we're busy. But with children, that's not good enough, is it? If we're on our phone, if we're distracted, if um, we're just got too into a crime drama series and we just can't look up to spend time with our children or, or meetings or I can say, I'm just, uh, I've got to see some people. My busyness, especially with my children, if they see that I will spend lots of time with others and not spend quality time with them, what does that say? I want to say our Heavenly Father is so attentive. His eyes are upon you. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. We have not got a busy Father with other things on his agenda other than you. Angry and impatient at times, I can get stressed. I know. If I get stressed when I'm hungry, I get hangry. I get, if my plans are interrupted, I'm thinking I'm doing something and something comes in the way, I can get impatient. Our Heavenly Father is patient and slow to anger. This is the truth. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. Um, disappointed and rejecting. I'm sure I've made my feel, I, I know in fact I've made my children feel that I'm disappointed in them. I think I've even said that. That's the worst thing. I'm just disappointed. When the father says to children, I'm just disappointed. I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. I know I've said that. But I don't want my children to carry that over with their relationship with their father. That when they mess up, that he looks down on, a, on them with disappointment. 
Our Heavenly Father is gracious. He's embracing. While he was still a long way off. While the son was a long way off. He'd squandered all his money. He was covered in pig poop and prostitutes perfume. The father didn't say, I'm disappointed, did he? He ran towards him with open arms. Embraced him, threw his arms around him and kissed him. For me, I think my children think that I just deny them the pleasures of life. All the good things, I say, no, you can't go to that party. No, I don't want you going with those, those friends. No, I don't want you to go to that, that pub or that festival. Or, You know, I'm a complete fun sponge. <laughs> and, uh, and we can think that of our Father in heaven. That he denies us the pleasures of all the sweet things, all the sinful things. He lavishly gives gifts to his children. He loves to give us good gifts. We need to trust him. Trust him for everything in life. That he knows what is best for us. He, in fact, himself is the indescribable gift. He gives us the fruit of the Spirit. Every spiritual blessing in Christ is yours. He lavishly gives us good gifts. He does not deny us the pleasures of life. He knows what we need. Imposes unrealistic expectations. Maybe you think that of the Father. I think maybe my children feel that. I think it's even harder for them, me being a pastor in the church. They think, oh, we've got to live up to a certain standard. And it's just too much pressure to act in a certain way as leaders' kids. Our Father is accepting and equipping. He accepts us and he also equips us. He doesn't impose unrealistic expectations. He gives us all we need. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He gives us everything. Finally, insensitive and uncaring. In the past, this was three years ago, I've moved on from here. I've learned from these mistakes. I've jumped to conclusions. I've, uh, you know, you make a, a judgment when you don't know the full picture, when you haven't allowed your children to speak and tell you the full story. I'm not sensitive. I don't want to hear the detail. I'm abrupt and harsh. Our Father is not like this. He's kind, caring, and compassionate. He knows how to deal with us. He's tender. He will not allow a bruised reed to be broken. Our God is tender. Isaiah 4, 40, 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So if you, like me, feel like you've monstrously um, misinterpreted the Father, misrepresented the, the Father, we've just got to accept that our children will need some sort of pastoral care or counselling sometime in their life. But we believe in the gracious, loving kindness of God, don't we? We believe God's good and he can heal and restore, just like that bone, he can heal. However big our failings have been or 
however big you know, our fathers, our heavenly fathers' failings have been towards us. I, I'm not opening this up to judge our parents. I want you to actually think about your parents, about even in their weak image, even in their imperfect uh, way they portrayed father, they have pointed you to a father. They are a signpost to the perfect one who will never disappoint you or let you down. So as I've repeatedly said, having correct relationship with the Father is what it's all about. It's not a means to another end. This is what it's all about. Intimately knowing the Father is the end goal. That is why he sent his Son. And I'd love us all to grow into just such ease with the Father. To know that we're his children. That we... I heard a statement recently, what, who would dare to wake the king at three in the morning for a glass of water but their child, their son, their daughter? We want to, he wants us to freely play and enjoy the father's house. He wants you to see his smile over you. I felt even this morning, he wants to turn up the music so we can dance together and enjoy serving him, working together. There's freedom. There's running. There's dancing in the Father's house. And earlier this week, I heard a talk from a guy called uh, John Mark Comer, and he was talking about how we see things in three different ways. Quickly, see with our eyes. I can see you. I can see this microphone. We see physically things. If, yeah, that's one way. The second eye, we can see with our imagination. So if I was to say, think of a elephant in a bikini, you're all thinking of that now, yes? If I say, think of a rainbow over a waterfall, you can imagine that with your mind's eye, with your imagination. But John Marco was saying, I think there's a third eye, and it's the eye of the heart. So it's not our minds, it's not our imaginations. It's the eye of our hearts where we see God. It's not just touchy-feely emotional stuff. There's something deeper that God wants us to awaken, wants us to remove the lenses, the unhelpful lenses, that we might see him with our mind, with our heart, that at a deeper level we would know him as Father. And I think this is connected to the Romans passage where it says he's placed within us... I'm sorry, his spirit that he has placed within us bears witness with our spirit and confirms and, and causes us to call out, to cry out, my father, Abba, Papa. It's this seeing the father. The spirit works with our spirit that we might see with our, the eyes of our heart, our father. And I believe this is actually so linked with our discipleship, how we disciple others, how we lead others to uh, the Father. He was talking all about the neuroscience stuff and uh, the things where, you know, how we mirror things that we look at, how we... Um, so if I was all to smile at you, hopefully, hopefully, we'll get some smiles back. And that's something in us, innate in us. In, um, and if we're looking... God correctly, God the Father correctly, 
we see him smiling at us, then we in turn will smile to those around us. I'm not just talking physically, I'm talking um, emotionally, that we're connected with the Father. As we see him correctly, then we will represent the Father to others. So if your image of the Father is angry, critical and judgmental, distant, condescending, then you will become like this and behave like this to those you are close to and those that you are around. If you see this Father smiling and dancing and embracing, then you will do the same. It's so much about just beholding God as our Father. I've, I bought a book, actually, uh, yesterday. I haven't even read it, and I'm going to mention it. But it's called this. Discipleship begins with beholding. And uh, I'm going to read this. It says, what do you behold? Whatever it is, you will be shaped by that image. We've taught people how to behave, but have we taught them how to behold? If people embrace certain rhythms and engage in certain disciplines, but are not fascinated by the beauty of God, then they are not discipled. Accordingly, we must lead people to behold God, and I'd say behold the Father, and be transformed into his image. God is not looking for people who behave like him. He's looking for a people who become like him. So as we close, it would be great to have the band up just as we sing one last song together. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit just to reveal filters that you are maybe seeing, Father, incorrectly. I know you have a distorted view. But it starts with just beholding. It starts with beholding him. And as we behold him, we're shaped by him, by his image. Let's come to the Father by the power of the Spirit and ask him to remove any unhelpful glasses that we're wearing. Should we stand together as we sing this last song together?